Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. know what someone else is going through in their home life. You also never really know, maybe until years later you find out, what difference a godly Christian neighbor makes in a person's life. Someone who takes a little girl to church, for instance, and gives her a place to feel safe. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. Today, tracing her path from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism and then back to Lutheranism, Sarah St. Ange. She's a married mother of six children. She's a member of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Pauling, New York, author of a forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You talk about deconstructing your faith, the faith that you were born into. What does that mean? Well, a lot of times when Christians, former Christians, or some of them retain some of their faith, talk about deconstructing, it's the process of figuring out all the moving parts of what made them as the people they were as they grew in whatever that faith practice that their families had originally instilled into them. So my mom was not Christian. My mom was pagan. I grew up in a very nominally Christian house. We uh, celebrated Christmas, but there wasn't really a lot of information given about what it actually meant besides Jesus saved you and he went on the cross. And that was pretty much the the extent of my, my religious instruction on that merit. And that was from my grandparents, who even themselves, my grandfather was Seventh day Adventist, my grandmother was Baptist, but neither of them practiced that, either of those traditions either. My mom was the bigger influence, and she was the one who really pushed all kinds of crazy magic and earth-centered stuff and, you know, deities who were not the god of the Bible and had more in common with uh, English, maybe uh, Celtic or Norse in that direction, that type of uh, belief system. And a lot of that has to extends into how we view her interpretation of it, which was her interpretation, (laughs) had a lot to do with humanism and feminism and the way that we relate to the world just as people, which had a really big influence, particularly being a girl, you know, growing up with a lot of her ideas. A lot of it was 
very focused on the eternal feminine and goddess worship and those kind of things, which is that like kind of neo-pagan 90 kind of Wiccan-ish thing. But she, it was much deeper than that, though, with her. She's a very, very smart person, very in tune to history and origin stories of faith practices of Europeans and things like that. So I had to pull apart a lot of those ideas within my own head, because as you're learning as a child, even with the worst parents, this is a person who's conveying you what you think is the truth of the world and how the world works. So I've had to go through, and even into this point, you know, until probably the last like five years or so, which I think I've pretty much shed all of those ideas, I've had to pick apart the things that I was taught and the way I was taught to perceive the world just as a whole. And the biggest part of that ended up being trying to kind of lose the ideals of this is the hardest part, and it doesn't seem like it has to do with that whole religious aspect, but it definitely does, is losing the bonds of the ideas of what feminism has has pushed into the world, which definitely does have a lot to do with particularly the neo-pagan, like, 70s and 80s kind of practice that she influenced me with very heavily. So talk about your home life. What was it like? So I grew up in Southern California, Orange County, and most of my lifetime I lived in my grandparents' home with my mom, who was single. My mom's father had passed away before I was born. My grandmother remarried a gentleman when I was about two. I need to be very clear in everything. My grandparents were great. They were not any talk of moving forward when I'm talking about abuse or anything like that. I am not speaking about my grandparents. They really did try. They really did, very much so. And I definitely felt loved. You know, my grandmother was, thank goodness she was there because things could have been a lot worse than they were. But um, my mom, like I said, was very, she was just very angry and bitter at the entire world and the system and everything. It had created all these problems in people like her's lives kind of thing. So her biggest goal in life was to leave my grandparents' house, where even that little bit of Christianity or normalcy was seen as too much normalcy. It was a problem. And when I was around seven, eight years old, and I'm, I'm a little, I'd have to go back and look at like a school record to see exactly when it was. But when I was about seven or eight years old, we moved out of the house from my grandparents. She ended up getting Section 8 housing, and we moved out of her house, out of my grandparents' house. Now, my grandparents' house was like all aunts and uncles in and out all the time, a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking. There were drugs, not like hardish drugs at that point. People got high. People in my family really like <laughs> to get high. It's just what it is, pot-wise. Kids all the time, everywhere. No woman in my family after my grandmother had her first child while she was married, all out of wedlock pregnancies. There are subsequent children that were born in marriage, but... The first child for every woman in my family. I know of at least, from people talking to me, I know of at least six abortions in just my generation. There's at least six. My grandparents tried, but it was not a good time just in general in society. <laughs> you know, it was the 80s, you know, late 70s. And, you know, my grandmother had been widowed very young when she was 38. And 
my mom and her siblings were teenagers when she remarried. My grandmother actually had another baby immediate, almost nine months to the day of her second wedding. And it was just, it was a, a house in flux all the time. But it was a house in flux, but that was always caught in a moment. And I don't know if that makes sense, but we just never moved beyond today. This is what's happening today. But people in and out all the time, and it just was... You know, that was very difficult. And then we went from that little bit of stability to my mom moved out into Section 8 housing. And immediately a boyfriend moved in with her. And his name was Richard. She had met him because she was clerking at a local liquor store. So in California, the liquor store at that time, I haven't lived there for 20 years, like a convenience store, but they also sold alcohol. So it was like where you go at the gas station, but they sold alcohol. Like everything is sold in the store bottles of wine and everything and he was one of her regular customers which should have been a clue but it wasn't and she moved into the house with him and he not only was an alcoholic but he was a heavy drug user and he sold drugs and the problem is that if you're using all of the things you're trying to sell you run out of money and you run out of the stuff you're trying to sell and he had a son who was a year younger than me and I'm trying to keep this for an issues, etc. audience, but they would allow people to come into the home and abuse his son and abuse me in exchange for money to buy more drugs. And this happened for, I would say, two and a half, maybe three years. That's why I say I'm, I'm like fuzzy on when exactly we moved and then when we went back to my grandparents' house. But my mom ended up losing the Section 8 because the state found out she had a man living with her. Her system was obviously disaster. The house was filthy all the time. There were maggots crawling out of the, like, the drains in the kitchen. We were not allowed to touch the fridge because she, at the one point, we were getting food baskets from the Catholic Church. Our Christmas presents came from the church. One year, my aunts and uncles, I know, went and put together and brought the toys and everything. She worked at Robinson's May, and she would leave. We'd walk ourselves to school. She wouldn't be there when we got home. We were like eight and nine letting ourselves into the house. It was a disaster. When he wasn't in jail, he was home, and it was it was just really an absolute disaster of a house. And she lost the Section 8 after the state found out she had had him there. We ended up going back to my grandparents, and even that was like she went into labor prematurely with my sister, who is his child, and he quite literally drove her to the hospital, dropped me and his son at my grandparents' house, and moved in with another woman in the same day. That was just it. It was a little chaotic, to say the least. Sarah St. Ige is telling us her story, her path to Lutheranism from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. When we return, what changed when she returned to her grandmother's house to live? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we wrap up our adventure in Acts with shipwreck, events on Malta, Paul arrives in Rome, and Paul preaches the gospel in Rome, and then we dive back into Genesis with 
Genealogy of Seth. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever. Your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship. It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology, Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkins. Sarah St. Ange is our guest. She's author of the forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. During this Reformation Week, we are tracing her path to Lutheranism from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism, then back. Sarah, what changed when you returned to your grandmother's house to live? Well, what happened was, and I have to backtrack slightly, when we lived in my grandparents' house when I was about five years old, a neighbor moved in across the street, the Zitos, and they were Wells Lutherans. So they would take me to church with them, and I, I just loved it. But then we moved. My mom cut off all contact with my grandparents. My grandmother worked as an aide at the school, though, so she could kind of see me. Not every day, but she was able to stay, like, a little bit connected. So when we moved back, I was old enough at that point. My grandmother was Baptist enough (laughs) to say that when my mom started pushing things on me and tried to restrict me 
from going to church or doing anything, my grandmother said, absolutely not. Everybody gets to choose, and this is what she's kind of chosen. So I would get up in the mornings, on Sunday mornings, and there was a lot of arguments about that, but I would get up on Sunday mornings and I would walk across the street to the Zito's house, the Wells Lutheran family that I knew, and I would go to church with them. Sometimes I would sleep overnight and with their daughter. They had a daughter who was a year younger than me, and it was just like everything in their house was very different than my house. It was mom and dad. Mrs. Zito was... Her father was a pastor. Her brother was a pastor. The pastor of the Wells Church that we went to was her uncle. She was a called teacher because the Wells calls their teachers as well as their pastors. She was, like, in the Lutheran Church. So it's their entire lives just revolved around church. Everything that they did was church-oriented, just everything. And I was just blown away going over there every week. was like, I didn't want to leave. My grandfather tried. I'm not going to lie and say that the other men in my family can even hold a candle to my grandfather. But even he was very rough. Language, I still cringe when I hear men speaking roughly. It bothers me a lot because it was constant. And Mr. Zito was just like friendly, I don't think I heard him say, oh, more than, oh, darn. I'm sure he did at some point, but I was like, blocked. you know, he was a guy. But he was just so gentle, and he would make everybody pancakes on Saturday morning, the absolute best pancakes. I still remember what they taste like after all this time. And they just showed me a little bit on that set of family, like what you could have if you did things the right way. And it was good. It wasn't that it was the right way and everything was going to fall. Into it was good. It was just what was good. Church-wise, holy cow, they brought me to the Welsh Church and the pastor, Marcus Nitz, ended up, I don't even think Mrs. Zito knows at this point. I'll probably send this to her if she listens to this. I don't know. But Pastor Nitz was one of the most influential people in my entire life. And I don't think she knows, but I would give him letters while we were at church to ask him all kinds of questions, and he would answer them, and he would write me back a letter. Like, And these were for somebody, I had had so much trauma by that point, completely untreated trauma at that point. So I'm shocked that he wasn't calling law enforcement. I don't know if he ever spoke to her about the things that I was writing him letters about. But the one that stood out in my mind the most was that I wrote him a letter about asking him if you, and again, I'm trying to keep this G for listeners, if you had engaged in intimacies with somebody, did that automatically mean that you were married to them according to the Bible? And I assumed that he believed I was sending him the letter because he thought I was engaging in premarital sex. But the reason I was sending the letter was because of the abuse, and I didn't really know how to incorporate that into the life that I hoped I would be walking into at that point. Um, And he answered back very clearly on, like, I wish I still had the letter, It traveled with me for a long time, but it was like a four-page letter about what marriage means and what the bonds between a husband and a wife and and what that willingness was and how just he really laid it out in a way he associated 
how we look at monogamy, pornography. This was a laid out letter on the ethics of intimacy that was more than I probably was asking for, but I've always been like an onion peeler of a person, even as a child. So the layers that were involved in what he was trying to tell me were so good for me and so vital. And I think I was probably about 14 at this time, which was why he probably, I just it was blown away. And the things that he said there have resonated with me my entire life. Like, there was that and the fact that during catechism, he repeatedly told us that drugs were suicide on the installment plan have really both of those things have probably been what has saved my life in more situations than I care to count as somebody who came from such a terrible, terrible place and has grown into the person that I am. They were just amazing. And I will say, take your neighbors to church, even if they're dirty and smelly, because you never know what you're going to get. But that is what happened when I went back home. So why did you run away from home at 15? So when I was 15, my mom ended up taking me to a therapist because obviously there were issues. We walked into the therapist's office and it was the two of them talking about what an awful person I was. And I was not a bad kid. I definitely was not the greatest kid, but I was not a bad kid. I wasn't robbing stores. I wasn't using drugs. I wasn't engaging in intimacies with people. I was, my, my bad things that I was doing, the things she didn't like was that I wasn't obedient to her. I was staying after school to do drama club was the biggest issue. And she didn't want me doing that. And I was just choosing to stay there because I did not want to go home. She took me to the therapist and they sat for 45 minutes explaining what an awful child I was and how terrible of a human being I was. And how if this didn't end, like, if I didn't end the awfulness of, and it wasn't like, there was nothing forgiving in it. There was nothing like, well, she's had some trouble. There wasn't even actually an acknowledgement of individual acts of what I had done, which is why I'm not, I could tell you a million things that I did do that were wrong, but that wasn't the focus. It was the focus was how internally something was wrong with, like I was wrong. Something was wrong with me as just a person alive in the world. And it ended with a conversation with them about how if things didn't go the way she wanted them to go in this therapy, then I was going to be going somewhere else. And the implication I got, she made it very clear. The Zitos who lived across the street from us were foster parents. And she literally turned around in the meeting and said, and I'm not talking about foster care, and you're not going to go to the Zito's house. I realize now as an adult, she was too much of a control freak to actually put me anywhere at all. But at the time, I was under the impression she was actually going to send me somewhere. And wherever that was, was going to be a lot worse than where I was. At that point, I started filling out the papers to try to do an emancipation as a minor. By that point, I was getting like straight A's in school. I was doing very well because I realized that the only way I was going to get anywhere was school. And that last semester, like straight A's across the board. I started the process, got all the paperwork for emancipation. I guess she was searching my room at the time and she found the paperwork for the emancipation. 
and she left a note in my bag letting me know that she had found it and she had possession of it and that she was going to, if any attempts were made, that I was going to try to emancipate myself, that she would make sure that whatever they talked about with the therapist would end up being part of that process. And it was very scary to me. As a mom now, I'm like, I probably could have stuck it out. I was 15. It would have been only three more years, two and a half, because I was on the road, like I said, straight A's. I would have probably went to school somewhere. But I felt in that moment, it was very scary for me. And this person who I had such tremendous frustration with, and I still loved her very much. She was the most important person in my life, even then. And it was either I was going to stay or something much, much worse was going to happen. And I planned it out. I was going to go live with a friend because everybody thinks everything's going to go well when they make these kind of choices. And that obviously fell through because the friend's parents found out that I had left without permission. They were like, oh, yeah, she can come stay until they found out. So I think it was foolishness, I will fully admit. But at the time, it was because I really felt the pressure that I could not live in that house anymore. I could not do it. It was me or not me were the decisions. And I guess me running away was better than me not being there anymore at that time. We're talking with Sarah St. Ange about her path from Lutheranism to Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. We pray in a prayer that follows the Lord's Supper that God would cause us to grow in faith toward him and fervent love toward our neighbor. That's what the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture, is all about. It's written by regular guest, Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Find out more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order the book 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. When we come back, Did her Lutheran neighbors ever give up on her? In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. North Carolina is one of the fastest growing metros in the United States with numerous company headquarters calling the Queen City home. 
Folks from all around the country have come to Charlotte for its temperate climate and convenient location between the mountains and the beach. If work, family, or vacation brings you to our area, we warmly invite you to join us at All Saints Lutheran Church, the congregation confessional in doctrine and liturgical in practice. Find us online at allsaintslutheran.org. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Truth-Centered Mission Outreach. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th Century. The 11th Century. Eighth century. The fourth century. The best of the church's music from the past two thousand years. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Reformation Week. Our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. Sarah St. Ange is sharing her story with us about her path from Lutheranism to Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. Sarah, you were talking about your Lutheran neighbors when you were growing up. Did they ever give up on you? No, they did not. Mrs. Zito would actually come pick me up even as a runaway, no matter where I was. Um, and it wasn't too, too often at that point, because I'm obviously, you're running away from home. I slept on streets. I slept in, I couch surfed people's houses. There was one family who let me actually stay with them for a very long time. But ultimately, I was inconsistent in where I was. But Mrs. Zito would pick me up on Sunday mornings and take me to church. And she never told anybody, and I don't know if I should say that, but <laughs> at this point, she never told anybody where I was, and at least there was somebody who was looking out for me at that point, you know, somebody who I had some connection with. There was still some place I could be a little normal, and that was the place that I could be a little normal. So, no, they never did. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think they still have, but I don't know. (laughs) How did your life spiral down further over the next few years? So I had my first child when I was 17, I was living with a boy and his family. He was only a year older than me, almost exactly. And I had my first child when I was 17. Obviously, you can guess, it was probably not the healthiest relationship. 17 and 18 years old are not really, in our current age, equipped to be the best parents. But I ended up getting pregnant again when I was 19. 
And at that point, I was not involved in the relationship with him really anymore. There was abuse in that situation, and I left. I don't know, even know what the reasoning was at all, but I was like, I'm never going to have a normal life, which was that normal that I thought I was seeing, like I said, in like the Zitos and, and different families. If I'm a single mom at 19 years old with two children, who is going to want to marry me? What kind of life am I going to be able to give these children? And I ended up having an abortion. And that was even in the clinic when I was there, I was asking a lot of questions that any normal person would have realized that I was ambivalent at best about this choice. And at worst, I was doing this not because I wanted to do it, because I felt like it was something I had to do. And it ruined me as a person. I'm not even, somebody died I'm not even going to touch that because this is a conversation about my conversion. I just want to make sure that nobody misconstrues what I'm saying as that this was all about me. A human being died that day. And after that, I I just completely lost all ability to... I was really good with my son when I was, even as a 17-year-old mom, I really tried really hard because I wanted him to have a better life than I did. He was immaculate all the time. He was well-fed. He was well taken care of. Nobody took care of him except for me and his paternal grandmother. Those were the only people who took care of him. He didn't have any of the chaos that I had. He didn't have any of the problematic situations. And after I had the abortion, my ability to think that I had anything to do with having a good life was was ruined. All the things I thought it was going to bring into my life, it ended up doing the exact opposite, which is usually what happens when we try to take control of what God's plans are for us. When we try to do it our own way, we end up creating more problems. I stopped going to school. I had actually passed certification for EMT. I had done the ACLS. I had done a lot of those things. I was doing it working for an ambulance company, things like that, all of it stopped. I just sunk and I ended up getting, I had a part-time job working with one of those companies that they used to have who did the surveys in the mall, hounding people to do <laughs> to do surveys. I did that and just kind of almost like I had a house and I had a place where I lived. I had a roommate, but I was almost like back in that place where I had been when I ran away from home where it was just like I kind of floated. And then it was kind of back to that state that I talked about in my childhood where everything was like kind of in flux, but it was also the same day all the time. And my roommate was really nice. Her name was Anne, and she had a little girl, so it was me and my son and her and her daughter. And the only reason we were able to survive is because she came from a little bit of a more well-off family, and her grandmother (laughs) paid all of her bills. But with her... She had, like, an extended family, and there was, again, people in and out all the time. My son was always safe. I never would ever allow anything to cause a problem, but ultimately I ended up having to leave that situation rather quickly because at that point I realized that she had started using heroin, and she was in the house. I went back to my grandparents' house for about a week, Somebody knew somebody who needed a roommate really quick. So it was things like that. And it was just constant 
chaos in that way where I was like unstable. I couldn't manage to get things together in any kind of coherent way at that point. It was just kind of an overall terribleness that I can't pinpoint anything like I did this. I was never a drinker. This is what I'm talking about when somebody tells you drugs is suicide on the installment plan. And that's when those messages matter when you're really in a, a difficult place. I can't say like I went crazy and did the drugs or I went crazy and I was fooling around with people or I went this, but it was just became like a monotonous nothing almost. There just was nothing. I went to work. I took care of my son. I went to sleep. I took care of my son. I went to work. I went to sleep. No motivation to try to do anything further in life or to live that good life. And I think a part of that was I personally feel that when I had that abortion too, there was some coercion involved, and I felt like it was very traumatic in itself of the fact that I made this choice that was so terrible. But yet again, there were other issues. And I've written about this in terms of the actual abortion, where, again, somebody had chosen to take something, my body, and chose to do something with it that I ultimately said, no, I don't want to do this. I've changed my mind, and it still happened anyways. So it probably, well, not probably, I think it brought out a lot of that hardship or the feelings and emotions that I felt in that context as well. And it was just, you know, I ended up joining like group therapy for women who had been abused. And it was funny because I'm like 17 or 19 at this time, 20, 21. And the women sitting there were like 30 and 40 years old. And I'm sitting with them and I'm like, that was the first point that I had an inkling that maybe I've lived a lifetime in a really short amount of time that other people take some decades to get to. And that was really helpful at that point to start kind of turning it around. But it took a long time. Sarah St. Odge is our guest. We're tracing her path from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week, and our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. When we return, she moves to New York and converts to traditional Roman Catholicism. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Criticism. I just 
just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. has contracted with the Fine Metals Jeweler to produce gold Luther Rose earrings, cufflings, and pendants. Learn more at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. Sarah St. Ange is sharing her path from Lutheranism to Catholicism, then back to Lutheranism. She's a married mother of six children, a member of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Pauling, New York, and author of a forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. Sarah, you moved to New York, and then you converted to Catholicism. What attracted you to Roman Catholicism? So I moved to New York, and the Catholicism question was actually very practical. The closest Wells Church to me was over an hour away driving, and I was a single mom that had no car. My Lutheran choice. It was an Elka church, which I knew I wasn't going to go in that direction. There was a Baptist church, which also was not an option for me, and a Methodist church where even back, this was 20 years ago, the Methodist church already had the rainbow flag hanging outside locally. Keep in mind, I'm in New York. So those were not options. I did know that that was something that I needed to be church going, and I needed to have that for my son as well. And honestly, practicality was that the Catholic Church where I lived was the closest option for me that I could get to what my core beliefs were. When I went there physically and started the RCIA process, I was very clear on the fact that I was Lutheran and that there were things that I was going to have a problem with, and they were like, oh, well, you'll just grow in your faith. And it's actually, I was told it was actually a blessing for me that I didn't fully believe everything, but I was willing to submit to the authority of the Church anyways, and that Martin Luther was a very holy man that got things right. So I I was like, okay, I guess this is going to work for me. I did end up, after that, a friend of mine that I worked with belonged to the traditionalist Catholic movement, 
she saw that I had done the RCIA, I was attending the Novus Ordo Catholic Church and offered to take me to her church. She was like, you're going to love this. And I did. I ended up spending quite a few years in a traditionalist Latin Mass Catholic church. It was a schismatic, not part of Vatican II beliefs. And I will say, long story short, that there's a lot to be said for the Latin Mass churches that would apply to other types of seeker-sensitive churches that we have in terms of all the overload, the sensory overload of stuff happening definitely can be just as appealing as the message that they're preaching. And I probably stayed much too long because of the uh, stuff that was going on over the messaging overall. How did you come to a Lutheran church? I stayed with the Latin Mass Church probably because my friends were there and I loved them. Because I had gone there for so long, I knew that once I left, if I went anywhere else, I would immediately be hellbound in their eyes. And that's a difficult thing to do with people you love when they, when they say that, and they're willing to say it directly to your face. I understand why people have a hard time breaking away from like something like Jehovah's Witness or something like that, because shunning is real and, and difficult. But um, I just realized the things I was hearing and the things that my son were being taught, I just didn't believe these things. I also got the same message from them when I did approach and ask questions and question things was that it was an extraordinary grace for me to be continuing to go even when I didn't believe and submitting to the authority. Literally, almost word for word, the same exact words. I found a an LCMS church, and coming from the wells, I think that was very difficult because there are a lot of discordant thought processes there, but I was happy there. My my son went. It wasn't quite, I wouldn't call it a confessional LCMS church. It was just like a the, your typical normal church, and I really liked it. I liked the pastor there. It was really nice until it, it wasn't. Contemporary service started moving in and things like that, and I just was like, I was taught well enough in that Latin Mass church to know that you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, that this was not the way I wanted to go either. So we ended up, we're at a small confessional Lutheran church now where it's very liturgical. We're part of the uh, Lutheran Missile Project test market, and it's definitely home. This is definitely 100% home, and it's I hear long gospel every week. The pastors in Lutheran churches have never not been able to answer a question for me or have not been able to say, I don't know that right now, but I'll get back to you. I have not found any church body that I've ever belonged to or any interest of any religious concept in my life. And like I said before, I'm definitely an onion peeler where I haven't found an answer in the Lutheran Church, or I guess I would say in the resurrection as interpreted by the Lutheran Church, and particularly the LCMS. I'm very happy with the church body that I belong to, and more only that I'm happy that I definitely, my understanding of Scripture has grown, and my understanding of what life means for us as Christians has definitely expanded, and I feel very confident in being able to share the gospel with people and also live a life that is pleasing to God because of what I've learned through the Lutheran Church. For people following you on Twitter, it's obvious that you are quite open about your pro-life views. How has Lutheran theology helped shape those truths? About a minute here. 
Well, the life of the unborn is they're always included as human beings, as people, as Martin Luther did write about child loss, and he did write actually about miscarriage in the context of unbaptized babies. I can't recall that exact one, though. As far as just the LCMS, we are one of the only church bodies that has a no-exception pro-life position. The Catholic Church, there's, you know, the Wells, the Catholic Church, and only a few more. Almost all the others have exceptions for this or exceptions for that. Even ones that people think are more conservative, like Mormonism, has an exception for fetal anomalies in their belief system. So we definitely, the Lutheran Church 100% honors every life from womb to tomb. Everybody is human. Everybody deserves to have a dignified life, live to the best of their ability within the context of the resurrection. And you can't really argue with that. I think that that's correct and right, and it's good, and it honors that whole thing of like, I'm taught in the Lutheran Church to live a life that's pleasing to God, obviously not as a work. And part of that living my life as pleasing to God is making choices that are going to honor Him. Not like before when I tried to wrest control and do things, or when people try to wrest control and they do things that are contrary to His plan, and they end up making a mess of everything because they're trying to take control. And the pro-life message has a lot to do with that. It has to do with letting God's plan fold out the way it's going to fold out and not trying to take control, not destroying and, and bringing death, which is the domain of the devil. It's not our domain. It's definitely not God's domain. Bringing death into something that's supposed to be speaking life, it's just all encompassing in everything that we teach, I believe. I'm not a theologian, but that's how I understand it. What perspective, then, has Lutheran theology given you on your very difficult upbringing with about a minute here, Sarah? Everything that you experience in life is, as much as we want to think that these things are not good and they're not created by God, of course, but it's the whole, you know, beauty from ashes concepts, that while these things are not good and while they were not, obviously, God did not cause these things to happen, I can use these things to bring comfort and blessings to other people if I contextualize them in the reality of the resurrection and what my life means as a person who is redeemed in the resurrection. There's a lot of people suffering out there that can use, and I'm not talking about a platform, I'm not talking about online or writing, I'm talking about individual people, the number of people that I've been able to just talk to on a one-on-one basis about my faith, and, you know, and they'll bring up things like, well, what about suffering, or what about this, and I can say, I've definitely suffered, and here's how I've suffered, you know, or ask them, obviously, and this is what brought me through this. Everybody thinks that church people are nuclear family, whitewash, picket fence, and everything. The body of Christ is made up of all kinds of different people, and suffering people are some of those people. Sarah St. Ange is a married mother of six children. She's a member of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Pauling, New York. And she's author of a forthcoming Wittenberg Trail column for the Issues Etc. Journal. Sarah, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. When we come back, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery continues our series on paths to Lutheranism, this Issues Etc. Reformation Week. 
He'll trace his path from liberal Protestantism into academia and to confessional Lutheranism. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher, and there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Cantorai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu slash GSI. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.